Grace and mercy and peace be with you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. As I've mentioned already, we are in the fourth and, uh, and final chapter of this book of Jonah as we've been working our way through it chapter by chapter uh, over the last uh, month or so. Uh, and I, I pray that in this story that you have seen God's relentless love for all people. Now, each week we've begun with a slideshow of artwork that's been collected over the last two months or so from uh, people in the congregation of various ages and stages. You just saw some Lego stop-motion video. You'll see pieces of that in this one again. Uh, But here is Jonah chapter 4. Chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, Was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Then said the Lord, Doest thou well to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city, and there made him a booth, and sat under it in the shadow till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a gourd, and made it to come up over Jonah, that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceeding glad of the gourd. But God prepared a worm when the morning rose the next day, and it smote the gourd that it withered. And it came to pass when the sun did arise that God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah that he fainted and wished in himself to die, and said, It is better for me to die than to live. And God said to Jonah, Doest thou well to be angry for the good? And he said, I do well to be angry, even unto death. Then said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the good, for the which thou hast not labored, neither madest it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle? I just want to say thank you again to all of you who contributed uh, to this. All these videos are archived on our church website at copperluth.org Jonah if you want to see them again. Uh, but today all of the artwork uh, is posted in our multi-purpose room. So if you want to take a look at some of the things that people made. Um, if you were somebody who, who contributed something and want to take it, let's wait till next week. We'll leave it uh, hanging up for a week, okay? Um, so as we get into chapter 4 today... What a story this has been. What an epic story this has been where, where the main character, Jonah, is a, is a selfish, tem- temper tantrum-throwing prophet who essentially only does what he wants to do. And when things don't go his way, he runs, he hides, he moans, he complains, he, he even threatens that death would be better than life. The other main character in the story, God, 
Well, God actually is very consistent in the story, and he always does pretty much exactly what we would expect him to do. And believe it or not, God, in his, uh, in his action, actually does uh, what Jonah expects him to do. It's just that Jonah doesn't really like it. <laughs> See, Jonah even knows and confesses in chapter 4 that he knows who God is. And this is why Jonah says he fled from God in the first place. He says here in chapter 4, verse 2, That's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. See, Jonah knew exactly who God is, and this is the reason that he ran away. Jonah did not believe that this city of Nineveh, this foreign pagan city, he did not believe that they should be extended God's hand of grace. Jonah really believed that God's grace was for the people of Israel. He didn't want God to deliver these people. He did not want steadfast love to be brought to them. From Jonah's perspective, Nineveh deserved disaster, utter destruction. If you remember, if you were here last week, or, or if, you, if you weren't, let me just tell you briefly. At the end of chapter 3, it seemed like a great place to end the story. It seemed like a kind of happily ever after ending. Jonah had gone to the city of Nineveh, told them to repent. They did repent, and God relented from the disaster that he would bring upon them. Nineveh repented, and God relented. And the reason that God relented and the people repented was because Jonah brought God's word to them. Jonah had told them that they needed to repent. But what Jonah was hoping for in his heart and in his gut, Jonah was really hoping that the people of Nineveh, uh, that they wouldn't repent of their sins, that, that this word of God wouldn't stick, and that they would just continue in their sin and that God would have no choice but to utterly wipe them out. At the end of chapter 3, when God relented from bringing disaster, well, do you know what, what uh, Jonah did? He stomped off and he went and he sat outside the city gate to the east of Nineveh. Our, our English translation of what happened here in, in chapter 4, verse 1, is very, very kind in the way it describes Jonah's feelings. It says this, It displeased Jonah greatly, and he became angry. All right, that's kind of a nice way to say it. It displeased him greatly, and he became angry. In the Hebrew language, if we were to translate it literally, it would sound something more like this. It was exceedingly evil to Jonah, and he burned with anger. All right, the difference here is that as Jonah watches God extend his hand of grace to these people of Nineveh, from Jonah's perspective, what God is doing is evil. Okay? Jonah is saying, God, what you're doing, that's evil. They should not deserve grace. And it made him infuriated that he burned with anger. He was so frustrated that here in verse 3, Jonah says, God, just take my life. It would be better for me to die. That's a, this is the first time he threatens death. He'll do it again later. God, it would just be better for me to die than to deal with this situation and watch you save these people. You know what it sounds like to me, what Jonah's attitude sounds like? It sounds a little bit maybe like this. Uh, 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 
what's wrong? I don't know. It just maybe it's because I'm currently raising a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and an eight-month-old in my house. But to me, from what Jonah seems to be doing, is throwing a temper tantrum at God. He's not having his way, and he just goes to the extreme, and he says, "Well, then it would be better for me to die." <laughs> right? Those of you who are raising kids or who have at any point, you know how they they get when they're so angry that they lose sense of reason, right? You know how it goes? Like, you, you just go to the extreme. You never let me. You always let him. I won't ever love you again, and I'm never, ever, ever, ever going to listen to you again, right? We just lose track of reason, and so does Jonah here. But I absolutely love God's response to him in verse 4. If you're not tracking along and you want to, we're, we're kind of going verse by verse through uh, the handout here. But I love God's response in verse 4. As God responds to Jonah's tantrum, here's what God says to him. Jonah's just flipping out. God says, do you do well to be angry? <laughs> right? Do you do well to be angry? I love God's gracious, merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love parenting style here. Right? He doesn't say, stop your whining, deal with it. He, God is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love for Jonah. He is slow to anger with Jonah. And Jonah, do you see what Jonah does? God is slow to anger. What is Jonah? He is quick to anger. Jo God is slow to anger. Jonah is quick to anger. God relents from his anger upon the city of Nineveh and extends grace to that city instead. He exchanges grace for anger. And by doing so, what does that create in Jonah? It makes him angry. So when God gives grace, Jonah gets angry. Jonah is a prophet who runs away. And God is a prophet, or God is a God who runs towards. Jonah is a prophet who runs away. God is a God who runs towards. God is so patient with people. Parents, imagine if we did parent like God. Always slow to anger. Slow to anger, gracious, merciful, right? Abounding in steadfast love. People, all of us. What if we always acted like God does here, embodying that characteristic of God with all people? Imagine if we modeled this kind of love with all people, gracious to the person who has wronged you, merciful to the poor and needy, slow to anger at the opposing political party, abounding in steadfast love to all. Imagine it. Imagine you see here at the beginning of chapter 4, Jonah goes outside of the city of Nineveh. God has relented upon the people who have repented. And Jonah goes outside the city. It says that he went outside the city to see what might happen to the city. Now Jonah knows that they've already repented and that God has relented. So what is he doing? I think maybe there's that peace within Jonah that says, ah, they're going to turn back to their wicked ways and God is going to bring fury upon them. Just as he did to Sodom and Gomorrah, he's going to rain down sulfur and fire on the heads of the Ninevites and I'm going to watch them burn. He would love it. 
and it probably would be a sight to see. So he sets up camp to the east of the city up on a hill. Now this is, modern, this is in modern-day Mosul, Iraq. If you've heard of Mosul, Iraq, Nineveh is within the city limits of Mosul. So we're in the middle of the desert in Iraq. So Jonah needs a little bit of shade, right? As he's just camped out waiting to see what happens. So he builds himself a little booth, probably made out of uh, branches and that kind of stuff. And then there's this crazy kind of, uh, this threefold event that happens here. Where, where Jonah's just outside of the city here, right? So he's, he's set up camp, right? He's got this uh, booth set up over him. And the next day, when he wakes up, God has um, grown this big tree ab- above him. You know, miraculously, he, he plants this tree, he grows it, uh, he provides for Jonah. It's really interesting that God uses creation here to provide for Jonah's needs. If you remember back in chapter 2, God used creation to provide for Jonah's needs. How so? provided the great fish, right? And just as in chapter uh, 2, when Jonah was spared, he gave thanks to God, here in chapter 4, when the tree is provided for him, he actually even kind of gives thanks to God for providing for him, all right? So Jonah's got his booth. He's got some shade. He's got this big tree over him. He's got more shade. He goes to sleep at night, and God sends this worm to, to destroy the tree, And so when Jonah wakes up, the tree is gone. Then this mighty east wind out of the desert comes and knocks everything down, and the sun is scorching upon him. What's going on here? You can really only read into this one way, and it's that God is using creation to bring divine intervention into Jonah's life again, because this is the only way to get through to this self-centered prophet right? God knows that this is the only way, so he's getting Jonah's attention once again. But Jonah doesn't really see it that way. Instead of seeing God trying to get his attention, what Jonah does, you know what Jonah does? He gets angry again. He gets so mad that he goes to an even further extreme temper tantrum throwing Jonah, and he says again, I just want to die. I can't believe my shade is gone. I'm burning up. It's so hot here. I just want to die. It would be better to die than to live. And how does God respond? So calm, so, so slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, Jonah had said, God, 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 God said to him again here, Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? Right? Do you do well to be angry for the plant? In his big tantrum, Jonah, God says, Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And what does Jonah do? He just goes all out in his temper tantrum and he says, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. <laughs> right? God is so patient, so calm, and Jonah is so self-centered. And so God responds to him, Jonah, you just don't get it. You don't get it. You're mad about this tree. Don't you realize that the tree wasn't there and then it was? How do you think it got there? I gave it to you. I made you that tree in, in one night, and I did it for you, and I took it away in order to get your attention. Because, well, Jonah, it takes a lot to get your attention. Why, Jonah, are you taking pity on this tree? Why do you care so much about this tree? Don't you see what's just happened? Because of your bringing my word to these people, over 120,000 people and their cattle have been spared from my destruction. Jonah, you pity a tree. Why don't you care about people like I do? That's how the story ends. 
We don't know, we don't know what happens. We don't know what happens after this. I wonder, I wonder, one way it could play out, you know, you could do like alternate endings to the story like they do sometimes. One way it could play out is that the book just ends here because Jonah's temper tantrum just kept going, you know. Uh, he just stomped off and slammed the door and that's it. That's the last we hear from Jonah. Or, or maybe, maybe it plays out like a good old-fashioned uh, dad moment in a TV sitcom where God once again sits down with temper tantrum throwing Jonah. You know, you cue the sentimental music. Jonah apologized. God forgives. And they end in a great big hug, right? Maybe it ends that way. I don't know. You figure it out for yourself. We don't really know how Jonah responds, but the point of ending it like this is this. Who gets the last word in the story? Whose word is last? God's. And it is, a, it is a word of great mercy and love for these foreign pagan people, right? God gets the last word in the story. And do you remember who had the very first word in the story? God. The word of the Lord came, up, came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, right? Right? So God gets the first word in the story and God gets the last word in the story. And frankly, all along, God gets the word all the time. It's always God's word that gets done. Even when Jonah doesn't want it to be done, God's word will always be done. God's word always has the first word and the last word in our lives as well. God speaks the very first word upon your life. Welcome. Welcome to my family. And God speaks the very last word into your life when he says, welcome into eternity. God speaks the very first word and the very last word to you every day, whether you acknowledge him or not. When you arise in the morning, God greets you and says, good morning. And when you close your eyes at night, God greets you and sends you to sleep by saying, good night, my dear child. The psalmist says that the God who watches over you neither slumbers nor sleeps. God is the God of all creation who has all of creation in his hands. And he is always, always gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. For who? For all. His grace is for all people, for you, for me, for the people of Nineveh, and for Jonah. God's grace and love is for those who run away and for those who stay near and throw temper tantrums and yell in his face. God is love. And this is how we know it and experience it. Our epistle lesson today from 1 John 4, I want to read it for you again. John says this, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because, what? God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. I pray that as we've been walking through this story of Jonah, you have experienced and heard time and time again of this relentless love of God for all people. This week, as you head into this week, it's Valentine's Day. 
Do you hear me? It's Valentine's Day, okay? If you don't know, it's Valentine's Day on Wednesday. You know, this week all about love, right? As you have the opportunity to show and demonstrate love to people, I pray that you remember God's relentless love for all people as we've learned it in this book of Jonah. Now, speaking of Valentine's Day, Valentine's Day falls on Wednesday this year. That Wednesday is also Ash Wednesday. And so we begin our Lenten season this week on Ash Wednesday, and we want to invite you to be part of what we're doing during Lent. We're going to gather under a common theme uh, during Wednesdays and Sundays. It's going to be called I Give Up with the subtitle Six Weeks of Sacrifice. On Wednesdays when we get together, our focus is going to be on things from the Old Testament sacrificial system. You see them listed here. Uh, things like lamb and blood and um, other things that we talk about a lot, but we go, well, what does that actually mean? We're going to trace the roots back into the Old Testament sacrificial system to see how those are fulfilled in what Jesus does for us on the cross. And then on Sundays, we'll gather together under the theme, I give up, as we focus on giving up a lot of things that we hold near and dear. We want to give those things up in order to fully experience this life in Christ. You've got a flyer highlighting all those things. Maybe take that with you. Invite a friend or a family to join uh, with us as we journey for the next six weeks with Jesus towards the cross and ultimately the empty tomb on Easter. Again, today, go in God's grace. Go in God's mercy. Be reminded that he is a God who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love for you and for all people. Go in his grace. Go live it. Share it. In Jesus' name, amen.